Romans chapter 7 and Galatians chapter 5. I asked this question on Thursday, and I'll start with it again today. How many of you at one time or another have tried to be good, tried to be holy by keeping a list of rules and working hard? Okay. How'd that work for you? I want to encourage you actually right off the bat, if you, um, sometimes I'll do this, but I, particularly today, um, Thursday, the message I think was, was particularly helpful uh, regarding that. And, and today continues the idea. What we learned on Thursday, uh, and I'll try not to reteach it too much, as much as it would seem logical, the strategy to, okay, I'm going to make the, see the list of rules, I'm going to... Um, look at, at the, the Bible, I'm going to look at the Ten Commandments and I'm just going to check them off and I'm going to make sure that I do them. As much as that seems logical and noble, believe it or not, Paul, a guy who was much better at it than you or me, tells you, look, that didn't work for me. What we saw in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 7 on Thursday, Paul basically said this, um, look, the law is a good thing. It alerted me to my sin." Okay? He said, but then something unexpected happened. Not only did the law alert me, it aroused sin in me. And then sin, once it was aroused, attacked me from my own base of operations, the law. That which I thought was going to help me, that sin used against me. And finally, sin assassinated me with my own weapon, the law. That's, in a very brief nutshell, what we covered on Thursday. Now, here's the thing. As I describe that to you, you, you probably think, oh, wait, now that makes the law sound like a bad thing. Look at verse 13. So that's, what, that's what Paul addresses. Has in what is good, that is the law, become death to me? Certainly not. How many times have we seen him ask a question and then that's the answer? Absolutely. No way. What are you thinking? Absolutely not. Has then what is good, the law, become death to me? Certainly not. But notice, sin, that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. He's talking about the law. So that sin, through the commandment, that is the law, might become exceedingly sinful. Now, without reteaching Thursday's message, let me just say, Paul is basically saying this. Look, the law does its job perfectly. The law never fails to do what it's supposed to do. The law is designed to tell us to show us where we fall short. Allah's job is to reveal sin in us. And it does that perfectly. The problem is that once we're alerted to our sin, that somehow sin is aroused and it attacks and it assassinates me. But Paul says, please don't misunderstand. That's not because the law is a bad thing. Certainly not. He says, no, the law is not the problem. Matter of fact, look at verse 12. Just back up one verse. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. No, the law is not the problem. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Paul says, you know what? It's not the law that's the problem. The problem is me. And his two accomplices, myself and I. The problem is not the statute. It's not the standard. The problem is the sinner. 
me. The, the law is spiritual, it says. It's God-breathed, right? The problem is that I am carnal. It literally means fleshly. I had uh, listened to one pastor describe it, and it'll stick with you. you might not appreciate it, but carnal. It means meat, like chili con carne. Okay? We are carnal. We're made of meat. And the problem is that that meat you can trace back to Adam, which is just filled with the DNA of sin, right? The problem is not the rules. The problem is the rebellion that is within me. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, some of you, if you've been paying attention, might be thinking this. Wait a second, Paul. Just last chapter, you said that we were dead to sin. And here you say, you admit that you personally are sold under sin. Last chapter, you told us we don't have to serve the old master. Now you're describing yourself as sold under sin. Some people see that and they jump to this way to reconcile it. They say, well, he must be talking about his B.C. days, his days before Christ, before he was saved. I don't think so. Matter of fact, if you look, look at verses 1 through 12 and you will see he was very specifically talking in the past tense there about his pre-conversion days. He was talking about his B.C. days then. But noticeably, quite noticeably here in these verses, he switches to the present tense. What's going on here? Paul's talking about a present tense where he feels sold under sin. I personally am really glad that Paul wrote in the present tense. That he sometimes felt completely sold under sin. Has anybody ever felt that way even though you've been saved? We've been talking a lot about how you can be free legally from your old master and yet you still find yourself jumping when your old master says jump. I am so grateful that in these verses the spiritual giant called Paul resembles an awful lot the spiritual midget called me. Verse 15. Tell me if these words sound familiar. If you've heard these words coming out of your own head. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Paul says, what is wrong with me? I don't understand me. I want to do what's right. I don't want to do what's wrong. That which I hate, I end up doing. Does that inner dialogue sound familiar to anyone? Go ahead and raise your hand high if you've had that conversation with yourself. Okay? We'll pray for the rest of you liars. Verse 16. If then... I do what I will not to do. I agree with the law that it is good. Paul says again, the problem is not with the law. There's something wrong with me. He says it's like there's two of me. The part that agrees with God and his law and the part that rebels. It's like there's two of me. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I'm schizophrenic. And so am I. It's like there's two of me, but it's not really me. Look at verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Okay, Paul, now you really sound like you're just going to blame shifting. Like, you know, the devil made me do it. No, no. Here's the deal. This is God's inspired word, right? He's identifying a reality in the believer's 
life. Let me put it this way. Good news. You're not schizophrenic. There really are two of you. Right? It's like that joke. You're not paranoid. They're really out to get you. (laughs) Is that comforting? (laughs) But there really are two of you. Think about this. Each one of us, if, if if you're born again... You have been born twice. You were born the first time into Adam's race. <clears throat> Excuse me. That means you are filled with flesh. Your DNA is sold out to sin. And then, if you are a Christian, you were born twice. You were born again. The new you is spiritual, wanting to please God. Amen. In chapter 6, as we've been learning, um, chapter 6, 7, and 8 are all about... Um, Achieving practically the holiness, the, the justification, right? We're justified uh, as we come to chapter 4 and, and 5. But uh, chapter 6, 7, and 8 is talking about how to become sanctified in practice, not just legally. Chapter 6, legally, Paul says, you died to sin. Legally, you died to sin. But you know what? I can't find any place in the Bible that says sin died in you. You died to sin, but sin hasn't yet died in you. We talked about it over the last couple of weeks. It's like, to help you illustrate, there's two guys in you. One's Mr. Oldman. He's the old man. Get it? And one's Mr. Newman. Get it? Okay. Here's the deal. Guess what? Mr. Oldman, he never gets better. He never reforms. The old man in you is still just as incorrigible as the day you were born. He's no better than the day you got saved. Many people think that Christianity is all about reforming. No, the Bible never tells us to reform. It tells us to be transformed. Meaning we surrender and God transforms us. Look at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, uh, you could say Mr. Oldman... (coughs) In, in my old man, nothing good dwells. I heard one pastor talk about this verse. You know, you can read through that verse and, and almost miss how rancid we are. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He's like, it's almost like you, you could hear a, a guy with an English accent, smoking jacket. He reads it and he sounds so refined. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells. But the, the context is, look, I'm rotten. For I know that in me, that is the old me, there is absolutely nothing. I am rotten to the core. Now, that's not very good on the old self-esteem. Self-esteem. I can't think of a place where biblical understanding... Biblical truth and worldly understanding diverge more than right here. The world tells you what you need to overcome that sin, whatever it is. What you really need is to love yourself more. You need to esteem yourself more. If you just loved yourself more, you would overcome that sin or that addiction. If you just loved yourself more... Apparently, Paul did not get that memo. You guys remember the whole, the whole 
message of Romans so far. He spent three chapters telling us, you're a sinner. 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 Oh, I'm a sinner too. We are all sinners sold to sin. We all fall short, way short of the glory of God. But Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners devoted to sin, Christ died for us. We sing a song. Um, i trying to remember all the lyrics. Where, where we say, um, I have not much to offer you, not near what you deserve, but still I come before your cross um, because your cross has placed in me my worth. It's not self-esteem. It's realizing that God loves you even though you are a sinner. See, the message of Romans and the Bible for that matter is not you need to love yourself more. You need more self-esteem. The message of the Bible over and over again is you're a wreck, a complete mess, but God loves you anyway. Remember when, when the, the gentleman came to Jesus and he said, oh, good teacher, what must I do? And, and Jesus said, wait, stop. You called me good. Now, why did you call me good? It's interesting because no man is good. It's like only God is good. Are you saying that I'm God? Jesus was the same one. Again, in case you think I'm, I'm overblowing this and that, that Paul was maybe didn't realize the value of self-esteem, and, but that Jesus did. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. Y'all, that, that is actually the deception that sin uses to get us uh, looking to the law rather than to Jesus. Look at verse 11. It says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Listen, if you don't know Jesus yet, the, the, the thing that sin is trying to tell you, it's like, look, you can work your way to heaven. You can get there. You just got to work harder. If, if, the, if the good that you do outweighs the bad, you'll be good. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we are wretched sinners. There's no chance for us to get unless he comes and rescues us. Okay? Here's the deal. When you are a Christian, the lie changes. And it's the same, but it's applied differently. Now what the lie is, yeah, Jesus got you saved. But you know what? You can be better on your own. You can, if you just follow this list of rules, if you just do this, if you do that, you, instead of you can justify yourself, now the lie is you can sanctify yourself. But I know that there's nothing good in me. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my old man, in my flesh, nothing good dwells and I prove it every day. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Paul says, look, the problem is not a lack of knowledge. I totally know what's right and what's wrong. The problem is not a lack of desire. It says I have the will. I have the, the will, but I don't have the second part of the word will power. I don't have power. And this is, again, the lie. Sin wants you to think that the law will give you power. The law doesn't give you power. The law is a mirror. It tells you what's wrong, but it doesn't bestow any power upon you. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Stop for a second. Let me ask you again. Is Paul your spokesman here today? 
How many times have you and I said this very thing? I know what to do. You don't have to tell me what to do. I know what to do. And I want to do the right thing, but I can't. I don't. This this whole passage illustrates why if your strategy for holiness, if your weapon in the battle of holiness is to follow the rules by your own self-effort, You'll, you will end up frustrated. Matter of fact, as we go through this text, I think you will see it. Because Allah tells you what you should do, but it gives you no power to perform it. Verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Anybody? Everybody keeping track here? This is the second time Paul says, look, it's not... Me, but it's sin within me. Again, he's not blame shifting. He's saying what we know to be true. There's two, two parts of me, and they are conflicted. But notice this. This is really important. One of the things that he's, he's weaving out here is the fact that, look, the real me, if Mr. Newman is the, the new me, and Mr. Oldman is the old me, which is the real me? Paul says, the real me is Mr. Newman. He says, when I do what I don't want to do, but I agree in my mind, what's happening is that Mr. Oldman is trying to be revived. Let me put it this way. Because right now, this whole message is kind of a downer until we get to a certain point. But let me give you a little bit of encouragement. The fact that you struggle at all is a good sign. Because Spurgeon said, dead men don't wrestle. Think about it. If you're an unbeliever that you've only been born once, there's only one of you. You're not schizophrenic like us. Right? If you're an unbeliever, you've only got one nature. You've only been born once. If an unbeliever comes to this this passage and they're like, I don't see the problem. Again, it's like that that t-shirt that has seemed to stuck in my mind for so long. I don't have a drinking problem. I drink, I get drunk, I fall down. No problem. That's, that's the, the thinking, right? I don't see the problem. It's only the person that has been born again, been born twice, that has this struggle. If you have not yet given your life to Jesus, you, when you sin, you sin in agreement with your current nature. You, you, you do what you were born programmed to do. But if you've given your life to Jesus... The reason you're miserable when you sin is that you're sinning against your new nature. Again, the difference between the prodigal and the pig. The prodigal, they're both in the pen, right? They're both in the the pig pen. The prodigal comes to the place and he asks the very same question that Paul asks. What in the world am I doing here? This isn't me. What is my problem? The pig, on the other hand, says, ah, the good life. I got my mud. I got my filth. I got a full belly. And recently the farmers even started calling me his little ham sandwich. (laughs) If you're having this conversation with yourself, at least you, you have hope that you are a prodigal and not a pig. A prodigal cannot stay in the pig pen But a pig can stay joyously in there and he's headed for the slaughter. Now, we've come to what? Verse 21. 
And again, there's not a lot of uh, encouragement here too far yet. I mean, maybe you're thinking, okay, Paul, I feel a little better. Let's see, uh, you and your schizophrenic self and me and my schizophrenic self can meet for therapy, all four of us. Verse 21, you'll see a, a, a summary here of conflicting principles. I find then a law... That is a principle that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. He's saying the real me, the Mr. Newman wants to do good. But every time Mr. Oldman still shows up, he's still just as incorrigible. He's still carnal made of flesh. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, the real me loves God's commandments. I want to do what he wants me to do. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul says, look, Mr. Newman in me loves obeying God, but Mr. Oldman is warring against Mr. Newman. He's totally got his sights set on the new me. The word warring there is anti-stratiume. Hope I said it right. But in that word is the same place we get the word strategy. It literally is a military expedition to make a military expedition to take the field against anyone to go to war. Galatians chapter 5, turn to verse 16. To go to war. Chapter 5, verse 16, Galatians. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17. For the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you look at this. Do not do the things you wish. Who's that sound like? Like Paul. Paul goes, I do the stuff I don't want to do and I don't do the stuff that I want to do. What's happening is a war. He says, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You can turn back to Romans chapter 7. Paul says, look, the reason that you do it, the reason that I do the things I do not wish, the reason that you have that conversation, what is wrong with me? Here's why. Because there is an uncivil, civil war inside you. Anybody encouraged yet? (laughs) You're like, okay, great, thanks. Thanks, Pastor. Let's see, I came in with some problems. (laughs) You proceeded to make me schizophrenic. Now there's a whole war going on inside me. It gets worse. Romans chapter 7, verse 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Okay, so now Paul, our spokesman, again, a guy who's probably out holy does in every way, outlived does. He comes and he says, okay, I've got a problem. And he goes, it's a sin problem. Wait, no, it's a me problem. No, there's two of me problem. No, it's an uncivil war, civil war in me. And now he says, it ends in captivity to the law of sin. Verse 24, no wonder he says, how wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The word wretched, it means enduring Toils and troubles. Apparently it was sometimes used for uh, soldiers. Picture a a war-weary soldier. Try so hard. Trying trying to get things done. But they find themselves being led on a death march. Who will deliver me from this body of death? 
It's, it's actually a very interesting word picture where it says the body of death. Apparently in ancient days, if you were convicted of murder, it's gross, but here it is. They would fasten the corpse of your victim to you. I think that'd be fairly effective deterrent. You'd be forced to face your crime literally. And if this were allowed to go on for very long, the corpse would begin to rot. And it would literally eat you alive. So many commentators believe Paul is saying in verse 24, Will anyone cut me loose from this body of death, from this corpse of death? I'm dying here. I told you it gets worse, right? But check it out. This is where it finally gets better. Because Paul, just now, in verse 24, has finally begun to ask the right question. See, if you're like me, you came in this morning and maybe at first you were comforted a little bit because, well, Paul has struggles too. But since then, it's been one long downward death spiral. Paul, a guy much holier than us, says, I've got a problem. It's a sin problem. No, it's a me problem. What is wrong with me? I'm schizophrenic. The war inside me is, is raging and I'm losing. See, I want to show you something that what Paul has just done, though, is actually brilliant. He has just illustrated, by way of, I guess, personal confession, it happens to all of us, the death spiral that happens when I try to keep the law. You guys get to read a whole bunch of words. You ready? You guys read the words I, me, or my, or myself. Ready? Look at back at verse 14. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but am carnal, sold under sin. For what am doing, do not understand. For what will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Me, you're right. Verse 18. For I know that in, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, do not find. For the good that will to do, do not do. But the evil will not to do, that practice. Now if do what I, excuse me, will not to do, it is no longer who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Good. I find then a law that evil is present with the one who wills to do good. For delight in the law of good of God according to the inward man. But see another law in members warring against the law of and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in members. Some of you are thinking, okay, we got the point about five minutes ago. I think it's like 47 times in these verses. Me, me, 
Me, I, myself, I can do this. I can do this. There's got to be a way that I can do this. There's got to be some rule. There's got to be some program. There's got to be something that I can do that will help me be holy. Not one single mention of Jesus up to this point. All of these verses. This is an awesome illustration of what happens when I try to keep the law in my own strength. Paul was asking the wrong question the whole time. And I think he did it purposely. He, he knew what he was doing here. The question that he, that he asked midway through is how. I don't understand how to perform it. Maybe that's it. There's got to be a way that I can perform it. He went from how to uh, what? what. What can I do? How, how can I do this? What can, can be done? What should I do to behave? How can I do what I should? When he finally, verse 24, asked the right question. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who? Who will deliver me from this body of death? It's a very long, ugly road to get here. But Paul finally looks outside himself for a deliverer. And remember, is this past tense or present tense? Present tense. What's that tell you, Christian? How often do we get fooled into thinking, okay, Lord, thanks for saving me. I got it from here. If I can just do this and I can do that. No. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer, the end of this exercise comes immediately. Verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amazing how long that it took. And then once he directs the question outside himself, how quickly he finds an answer. He finds relief. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why Paul keeps telling us, have you noticed Romans 6, 7, and 8. When we're talking about holiness, how, how do we become sanctified? Thank you so much, Lord, that we're justified. But we agree with you. We don't, we're not happy with where we are. We want to be more where you are. Why, in these chapters, he keeps talking about dying. Over and over again. Romans chapter 6, you're dead to sin. It's not your, your master legally anymore. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 12, you're dead even to the law. The law is a good thing. But the law is perfect and you're never going to live up to it. That's a hard husband to try to please. No, you're dead to the law and now you're married to Christ. And here, he says not only you're dead to sin and you're dead to the law, but you need to be dead to yourself. Not depending upon yourself. Here's why. Because victory is not found by looking at your sin. Matter of fact, you will seal your fate. Seal your doom if you say, okay, well, I'm not going to sin and, and let me think about that sin that I'm not going to do. Victory is not found by looking at your sin and it's not found by looking at the statutes. That is the law. It's not found by having a list and checking it off. And it's certainly not found. We've just seen it. Certainly not found by looking to yourself. When you do, the death spiral ensues. Victory is found only by crying out to the Savior. Lord, deliver me. Just like you did the day I was saved. Just like the day you made me brand new and pure. Lord, deliver me again. Every time in these chapters, when Paul says you died to something, he says, look, you're alive to God. You're alive to Christ. Run to Christ as your Savior. 
He's your rescuer, your deliverer. Let me ask you a question as we, we begin to close. Romans chapter 7, except for these last verse or two. It's a pretty miserable chapter. It talks about the, the law, it killed me. Uh, I tried to be good, but man, I couldn't. And just this, this death spiral. Can I ask you, you don't have to raise your hand yet. Where are you in Romans chapter 7? What verse are you? Are you still in the I, 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 me, me, I, I can do this? Or have you made it through to verse 25? Where you say, Who will rescue me, Lord? Will you rescue me? He is still your Savior. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look at this. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul, why did you have to do that? That's not much of a closer. I mean, it was such a tidy, glorious ending. Why did you have to go and spoil it with that last sentence? I'm all, almost sounds like defeated again. Here's, here's the deal. I think Paul wants everybody to know that just because you finally get it, your trust in Jesus, that doesn't mean the struggle itself goes away. Let me put it this way. This whole message is that Jesus not only saved you, but He wants to live in you, to work through you. What I'm not saying is that Jesus will work instead of us. See, a lot of times we, we say, okay, I get it, Lord. I'm not going to worry about it and I'm just going to... Yeah, you'll take care of it. No, that's kind of like you take care of it so I don't have to converse with you. Here's, here's my problem now. I'll see you later. No, it doesn't say that He will do it instead of us, but He wants to work through us. Jesus is saying to many people, I think, this morning, look, it's my power and my authority through you. I am the vine. You are the branches. The power goes through the branches. Um, maybe a way to say it is, he did not die and live again to give you more rules or even better rules. He died and is living again that he might live through you, that you might be surrendering your life Constantly, over and over, let him live that victory in you. Okay, now this really is the close. Again, don't raise your hand, but what, what's the trajectory of your Christian life look like so far? Does it look like a roller coaster? Wouldn't you prefer, and we're, we're always going to have highs and lows maybe in circumstances, but wouldn't you want your, your moral character, all of that to kind of just look like that from glory to glory? Does it look like something at Disney World? If it does, I think it's safe to say if you look back at every time that you took that death spiral, it was because you weren't looking to Jesus. You are looking to either your circumstances or your sin or the set of standards or even to yourself. But that's never the solution. See, you thought what you needed was more law. If I, if I just have more rules, I can follow them better. Scriptures say, look, you don't need a, a teacher, really. You need a Savior. 
Maybe thinking, well, I just need more motivation. I just need to, to want it more. Paul says, look, I wanted it as much as any pos- person possibly could. I still couldn't do it. You don't need a, a life coach. You need a Savior who will rescue me, who will be my Savior. What you need is a Savior not only to justify you, save you from the penalty of sin, but to sanctify you, save you also from the power of sin. Day by day, glory to glory, as we surrender.